Blessings upon each of you. Yo, 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 yo. Yo, 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 yo. Listen, you all have a gem in Kevin because I mentioned that song to him. I was like, do you know it? And he was like, we don't know that one. Then he comes back. He's like, oh, now we know it now. So, <laughs> so I am just so appreciative to him, to all of your bright, smiling faces. I always say I have to do the commercials first and thank, of course, the Board of Deacons. Of course, the administrative staff who have made it very possible for me to be here. And I don't know if you've met me yet. You haven't. I'm a bit of a piece of work, but it's a good work. It's God's work. And they have worked with me. So <laughs> to Minister Tara Gibbs, who has been a colleague over the years and is becoming a true sister in the ministry to me. And of course, to your pastor, the shepherd of this house, Dr. Ben Boswell, who I have heard about over the years, and we like know each other through people, but we finally met a couple of weeks ago, and now we're besties, and you know, that's how this works out. And most of all, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who continually lifts up grace to meet me where I am. May the Spirit also dwell with us here. Oh, who will run the church now? That is the question. Now, I stand before you a continuation of the weekend that you have had before you, which is exploring the 21st century church, exploring what does it mean to be a people of faith in the network age. And I believe we better pray first. Pray with me. Oh, Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditation in all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Indeed, O oh Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. What does it mean to be a church in the network age, a people of faith in the network age? That is the question. We see here in the text, the Isaiah 40 text, a voice making a very strong suggestion. Correctly, it's an imperative. I recall a lecture in seminary on exegesis and biblical semantics that asked the question, where is the voice? Remember the verse is 43, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Where is the voice? This was an important question as we were first year seminarians and most of us in our brains, when we hear that particular scripture, we go to autopilot and our voice goes to the lyrics. Most of our brains go straight to the New Testament. And if any of you, perhaps some of you, there might be at least one witness, or anything like me, come October 31st, as soon as the last trick-or-treater or trunk-or-treater, if you're holy, <laughs> <clears throat> As soon as Thriller Night is over with, it's Christmas for me. <laughs> yes. No, no, don't get me twisted. Every day is a day of Thanksgiving. We'll cut some turkey, but I'm not going to put up the tree, but a Christmas carol or two might come out. No, I'm sorry, an Advent song. I don't want Kevin to get me. Not Christmas carols. We got we to do things decently and in order. I mean, seriously. But as soon as the last trick-or-treater leaves, for me, it's Advent. I start warming up my vocals because Handel's Messiah is coming. <laughs> and you all have a wonderful choir, but I need you to know I sing every single part. You don't need a whole choir. I will sing everything from baritone to soprano. Every valley will be exalted. I 
can't wait as soon as we get past Thrillers Night. Mm-hmm. So every year I start warming up my vocals because we know that there will soon be a voice crying in the wilderness. And that is why typically when we hear this scripture, our brains go over to Luke 3 where it says that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, we love to hear it, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea and Herod was the ruler of Judea, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. And when we read the Luke text, it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that is why we have to raise the question, but in this text, in Isaiah 40, where is the voice? In the New Testament, it's John's voice coming out of the wilderness, but in the Old Testament, the voice is said to be the heavenly council calling out to us. And telling us, not from the wilderness, but to go into the wilderness and to build it. We are remembering in this particular text that it is the 6th century before Christ. This is a prophetic text and it is spoken to a post-exilic audience. This audience would have been one who had been longing to get out of what they considered their present wilderness. And the voice was saying, no, 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 you're going to build right there. The voice is telling the listeners who want nothing more but to go back to their lives. You see where I'm going? Mm-hmm. They want nothing more but to go back to their lives that they were so abruptly removed from. The life that they thought maybe a month, maybe two, maybe by May, things will be back to normal. The lives that they want to return to, they were removed from. They want to sing Zion songs in the collective community of Zion. They want their old lives back, or at least for the younger ones, they want the lives that they've seen in the movies. And the voice is saying, your relief comes when you build the highway. (laughs) This highway for God is an uncharted wilderness, and we know not much about it. And what I appreciate so deeply about this text is the record of the prophet's response in verse 6. We didn't read it. I'll recall it for you. In verse 6, it says, a voice says, cry out. And the prophet says, what shall I cry? For all flesh is grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. And when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are like grass. I'm going to say it a different way, colloquially. The prophet responded, for what? (laughs) Cry out, for what? Everything is so shallow now. There's no longevity to things. People are like grass that withers. You hear them. You heard them say it. It's in the text. And the voice sounds back and it says, yeah, people are like grass. They withered. Everything is shallow. People's attention span is about 30 seconds or less before they scroll on by. But the word of God still stands. So build the highway. I believe this message is for the early 21st century church. Spoiler alert, that's us. (laughs) The church trying to figure out how to be church in a network age whose development and footing in the network age has been sped up by a global pandemic. A pandemic that exiled us from our buildings, from our routines, our ways of life, an extent of life that has slowly been trying to return, but it's still not quite the same. I was asking Reverend Gibbs in the back, will there be hand sanitizer out there? 
before we go out. These are questions and things we did not have concerns for before, and we are henceforth, from this path forward, living in a hybrid world. The lives we knew will not look like they have ever looked before. This is the now normal. And I'm not all that excited about it. <laughs> I'm hopeful in it, but I'm not all that excited about it. I'll tell you more why later. You see, social media and digital platforms and technology is the next frontier. Not Mars, not subterranean Earth, the internet and all its possibilities and challenges is the next frontier. It's the now frontier. There are people who are resistant to entering this technology age who soon learn if you want to stay connected, you have to get online. And it's like the wild, wild west out there. You don't know if they're scammers, hackers, trolls. It's the wild west. And God says, oh, building that wilderness. <laughs> And I wish I could promise you that this would be a sermon of hope and good tidings, but I believe this is a message of sobriety, a message that reminds us of our commitments and who doesn't love to be reminded of their commitments. The Great Commission must still go forth to the ends of the earth and the ends of the earth is now the world wide web. It's a network. And I mourn what this means for the local church. And yet I also rejoice. I'm a little bit sad, but I'm also hopeful. I'm excited and I have come to hopefully bear the good news that we are very likely at the end of church as we know it. That doesn't sound like good news, but I assure you, keep listening, it's good news. We have to build a highway in the wilderness, be a construction crew in unknown terrain, build it not for ourselves, but for the settlers that are to come. Congratulations, we're all pioneers. And most of us will die in this wilderness. Now, some of you a little bit older than me may not remember the uh, early days of computer labs in elementary and high schools, and there was a game called the Oregon Trail. I never made it to Oregon, ever. I, I don't know, maybe some of you. But the Oregon Trail, you throw in a floppy, the machine would make this loud noise, and you had this choice. You had a wagon, and you would stop and get supplies, and you had like at least seven kids, and at least five of them died. They died of hysteria, typhoid, fever. I still don't know what half those diseases are. But half of your crew died, you lost a wheel, then you lost an oxen, then you were attacked by natives. Actually, the game was really racist, but you still kept playing. Because back then, they weren't even native, they were Indians, you know, you could say that, right? And the point is, you died in this game, and it was quite entertaining, and God is like, yeah, do that and build a highway for me at the same time. I'm excited, and I'm also mournful, because church, church I know, church I know, but this isn't about us. It's about the disciples of Jesus' teachings that are to come after us. 
It's about those who will go forward with the gospel into the future, the spirit of the Lord that will come upon them to proclaim the good news to prisoners for which we are witnessing the budgets be passed to build their prisons. That's who we're building this highway for. We are building a highway and we will build a highway and we are to build a highway, but it is okay to mourn along the way. There is a text that goes with this text. You see, our text this morning is Isaiah 40, but when you do your Bible study, you can flip back to Ezra chapter 3. And what you'll see in Ezra chapter 3 verses 8 through 13 is what is labeled as the foundations of the temple are laid. Now what you need to remember is although Isaiah is further back in your Bible and Ezra and Nehemiah is further forward, it's not chronological. And Ezra and Nehemiah are the response to the prophecies in the book of Isaiah. They're actually conversing together at the same time. And so if we were to think about it chronologically, verse 40 happens and then two years later, Ezra 3. Now it says in verse 8 of Ezra 3 that in the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord and the priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the God, saying that the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures towards us forever. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord had been laid. But many of the priests, the Levites, the heads of families, Folks who had seen the church in its heyday. That's not in the text, but I'm reading it in. (laughs) Those who knew of what it felt like to be in a building packed to the rafters, to have to get to church early in order to get a parking space. Those who had seen youth ministries so abounding you couldn't get enough volunteers versus now you have more volunteers than you have children. Those who saw the first temple wept when they saw the new foundations. But there were those who had not seen the first temple who also shouted aloud with joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping for the people shouted so loudly that it was heard far away. Hear me, I, like you, I know how to do church. I know Baptist Training Union. I know Sunday school, I know afternoon programs, and I know that the sweetest punch in the entire city is always served in a fellowship hall. (laughs) I don't know these internet network streets. I don't know what it means to log in and be the presence of God amongst strangers. I know what it means to turn to your neighbor, touch your neighbor, reach across the aisle, you know that thing we don't do anymore? And I know hymns. But I also know that the church also has a dark underbelly. I know how abusive the church can be, how exclusive church can be. I know that we now have to say what kind of Christian we are not. (laughs) And we have to work three times harder to correct the works of the kinds of Christians that we are not. 
I know that we have spent too much time on doctrine, dogma, and bylaws than we have on compassion, caring, and acts of justice. I know church, but I want my children to know God. I want your children, everyone's children, to know the fullness of God, full and free. I want my children and those who are not yet to be born to worship in spirit and in their truth, which we know isn't necessarily our truth. Because the God that we know who doesn't change is still expanding like every living thing. And we serve a living God, so we build a highway. In 2008, Phyllis Tickle wrote in her book, The Great Emergence, put a pen in this, go buy this book, it's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. The Great Emergence, How Christianity is Changing and Why, written in 2008. And she recalls that Bishop Mike Dyer was the first to notice that every 500 years, the church has a bit of a rummage sale. Every 500 years, the empowered structures of institutionalized Christianity, whatever they may be at that time, become an intolerable carapace. I only said that word so you know I read the book. <laughs> Tickle writes, when these mighty upheavals happen, history shows us that there are three consistent results. One, a more vital form of Christianity does indeed emerge. Two, the organized expression of Christianity, which dominated the previous era, has to recapitulate itself. It doesn't die away. It just becomes something different, something better of what it could have been always. And three, the overly Christian society breaks open, and we know that the faith spreads further. Those three things. One, Christianity, a more vital Christianity emerges. Two, the expression of what was recapitulates itself, recalibrates, and becomes a better version of itself. And three, the faith gets spread further. And to flesh this out, to, to make you feel where we are in terms of history, the Protestant Reformation was 500 years ago. It's been 500 years since the Reformation. We just celebrated his birthday a couple of years ago. Now, what we know is that it was October 31st of 1517 when Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses onto the door. You know why it was October 31st? Because the last trick-or-treater had come by and he was ready for Advent songs. I don't care what anybody says. That's what really happened. Don't look it up. It's not in Wiki, but I heard. Okay. It was 1517 when Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses onto the door, but it's not that singular event. There were other things happening in the background that made it possible, and one of which was technology. The printing press was the first World Wide Web. Suddenly now your ideas could be quickly disseminated to someone across the globe. And by quickly, I mean a couple of months, but still, you catch my drift. Previously, it was not very present. It took years for information to reach places. But the printing press was the technology of that day. But also people's discontent with church. Amen, somebody. 
Membership was on the decline, and a huge change in the feudal system said that people were now socializing with one another differently. But Protestantism, that's what we are, did not eradicate Roman Catholicism. It's just different. Neither did 500 years before that in 1054. You see those movements? Neither did Roman Catholicism eradicate Eastern Orthodoxy. And neither did 500 years before that Eastern Orthodoxy do away with the monasticism. Nor did the 500 years before that the monasticism be able to grow except for Jesus. But guess what? Even 500 years before Jesus, there was Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. These movements were observed, and guess where we are? We are <laughs> at the next 500 years. Tickle called this the beginning of a great emergence. Now, I don't know where Myers Park will fall in this. I don't know if you will become the pioneer of the next big thing or you will become the rubric that remodels and becomes the best version of what was. We don't know. That's why it's called an emergence. But what we do know is that the voice in the text has told us, regardless of what you know, build a highway. But how do you build a highway with just those instructions and in the unknown territory of wilderness? You start by making the crooked places straight. The thing about being groundbreaking and discovering and exploring is that it sounds good, but it's unknown terrain. Everyone wants to be the first. We all love to say we're pioneers. I know this church was mighty proud when the pandemic hit, and you didn't have a long way to go to become digital or in this network age. You were already streaming. <laughs> you were ahead of the curve. Everyone loves to say they were the first, but the thing about being the first is you really don't know what you're doing. You're an explorer, and that means there have to be some failures along the way, but you must explore. It is uncharted, and it is untamed, and the Lord is telling us to do it anyway. I wonder what it takes to be a part of God's construction team, because construction work is intricate. It is, you bring in the wrong materials, everything collapses. You cut the wrong angle, everything collapses. But we have to build it quick and with no instructions other than to lift up the valleys and bring down the mountains. COVID-19 spread everything up. We knew this was coming. We just didn't know it would get here this quickly. Usually the church is playing catch up, but for the first time in probably any of our lives, Christianity is facing not the death of Christianity, but rather a new emergence of what will be. Try to get excited. We hear language now about God and the gospel that is changing, but the concept remains the same. For us, we had, I don't really like their spirit. Now Gen Z, nah, they got bad vibes. It's the same thing. We talk about the gospel and the good news. We have to now say that we are a social justice church when that actually should just be a redundant statement. church is in a place where it must decide whether it wants to hold to its dogmas and professions or faith or if it actually wants to produce fruit and not just spiritual nuts. The thing about building in the wilderness is that it's a good time to do inventory, to find out what's needed in this wilderness. It is different than what has been in this civilized space. 
is a good time to do inventory and to recalibrate and to figure out a rubric for success. And let me tell it to you, this is the cheat sheet. It cannot be people's pants in the pews. Let that go. I know. Oh, gosh. Wow. My car is right out back. Y'all can chase me out. We're good. We're good. I'm sorry. That cannot be the rubric for your success anymore. There are churches that exist today where people have never sat in the same space. Having the real estate should be the place of power. It should be the place where you say, we have a place where we can gather, where we can organize, but your rubric for success has to become the outcomes, not the people present. And that is hard to grasp when we are coming from an age where we have more pews than people, but you still have more voice, more power. You no longer need the middle person. You can go straight to the source, but you will need a strategy. And the strategy cannot be get the people in the building unless you need the people in order to go out. I'll say more about that. It looks like, what does it mean to actually encourage CMEs? That's Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter's. We used to talk about them when I was growing up. You know, the people who only show up for Christmas and Mother's Day and Easter. You'd be doing great, actually, if you could get them in here once a quarter. That actually should become the new goal. There are people we like to say, I haven't seen you in a month of Sundays. <laughs> Stories, it's been two years. <laughs> Maybe more. So aiming for the CMEs, the once a quarter, that's what it means when you build in the wilderness for an effect. Not to get them in the building, but for an outcome. What happens when the purpose of your church gathering is now for the protests, for the building up of those who are broken down? What does it mean to say, we'll gather on this day and it's three months away from here? No, that doesn't mean we get rid of Kate Sunday mornings. We don't get rid of the regular. It means we're getting ready for something to emerge and it will look like nothing that has been before. And you all are explorers, but you cannot be afraid of the frontier. Not when there is a God telling you to go. What's needed in the wilderness is different. And if you all want to take the name of Myers Park 80 more years into the future, you all will have to build it today. You all will be the financiers. You all will be the, uh, the Lewis and Clark. You all will be the Davy Crockers. You all will be the Sacropagias. You all will be the explorers, the frontiers folks. And granted, when they read your history, it'll read like the wild, wild west, but that's okay, because again, we are the early 21st century church. We are not the closers, we are the emergers. And there is an advantage, there is an advantage to being able to get to people right in their homes while they're at their lowest point, their valleys. We don't know how to build an internet, but I experienced the internet and the, and the network age as a formless void. And one thing for sure is that we still have a God who knows how to make a way out of no way and who will help us build this highway. How do we build a highway in uncharted terrain? The answer is always in the beginning of the book. Professors always say on the first day of classes, make sure you read the syllabus and the first chapter and introduction, and it's there that we have our answer. In the book of Genesis, it says that the world was without form and it was void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was quite an unknown terrain. But if the spirit of the Lord can hover over it, it will start to take shape. 
And that's what each of you are. You're the spirit of God. God has no hands but your own, no voice but your own, no occupation but your own. You are the highway for God. And so the advantage of being able to get to people right where they are is that you can speak to the valleys from where you are. You can bring down the high places. And we have seen the way the network age has been able to do this exponentially while we were all still in lockdown. We saw in 2020 that our voices, the collective voices, when we could not look away, when, when information could move rapidly, that we could tear down high places right from our homes. Imagine what you can collectively do. And right now, the collective world is praying for the rough places in the Levant to be made straight. The Levant includes Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, Israel, Jordan, and Cyprus. And we are praying right now that those places be made straight, that the places in our own country, in our own backyards, but we have to build it. And so as we are the church in this network age, we must remember we are not building it for ourselves. We're building a highway for God tomorrow to traverse, for those who are to come after us. And yet we must be willing to do the construction and we must be willing to both succeed and fail. But we cannot stay here. We cannot remain and believe that what was will ever be in God's world that is expanding when the voice is calling for us to go into the wilderness and exalt every valley. To be the voice that brings down those high places, to make straight the places that are crooked, to smooth out the rough places. Now, some of you may say, I'm not going on the internet. But you can make room for someone else. You can support, you can resource, you can be part of the strategizing team. Some of you know strategy and leadership better than the best of them. And while God's spirit may roam free, God also has chosen you in this time to be alive in this time for such a time as this. So who will build the church now? Who will build the highway? Let's build it together. Amen.